Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I was sitting in the cafeteria at the Cleveland Clinic while my wife had surgery the other day. The people around me at the various tables, I presume, were a mix of patients, family members, and hospital staff. I often pass the time in situations like this by watching people. At airports, in stores, and in locations like I have been describing, I watch people. They make interesting subjects to watch. As I remarked to my wife on one occasion, some people are naturally happy and free. You can tell by their expression, by the way they conduct themselves. Other people, on the other hand, are the very image of depression. They look like they're perpetually angry, ready to fight, miserable souls. I've also found out that you can be mistaken if you're not careful. Some people whom I have initially taken to be miserable and unfriendly have turned out to be quite delightful once you engage them in conversation. Never judge a book by its cover seems to speak to this kind of a situation. Christians, those who have been redeemed, who are born from above, have God's spirit living within, should, in my humble opinion, be amongst those who seem, who appear to be, who exhibit happy and free environment. They have been forgiven. They are on the way to heaven. They represent the Lord of hosts and are to become more like their Lord every day. But back to the hospital cafeteria. As I sat having a yogurt and a cup of coffee, waiting for the time to pass and for my wife to come out of surgery, there was a woman sitting at the table directly in front of me. As I looked up, I noticed that she had her head down. At first I thought she was saying grace for the food in front of her, which in the U.S. is kind of not expected. How nice, I thought. So unusual to see this in a public place. Then I noticed that she was crying. Silently, a tear ran down her cheek, and she she discreetly wiped it away. The food seemed not to be very inviting to her as it sat there in front of her, untouched. My heart went out to her. I could imagine that she was there as the family for a husband or possibly a child that was having some difficult procedure, much like me. Perhaps she didn't have good news, and the burden was really hard for her to bear. My thoughts went upstairs to the place where I had left my wife in the hands of the surgeon. I could only pause then and whisper a prayer for that lady and for my wife upstairs. There is a place of quiet rest near to the Oh 
As it turned out, I never saw that lady again. I don't know the end of her story, even though I prayed for her and her situation, whatever it was. I do know the end of my story, however. The surgeon was being watched over by my heavenly father, who guided his scalpel and who brought success to my wife's surgery. She will have to take care as she recuperates, of course, from the awful shock to her body, but the ailment has been corrected and her quality of life should be improved noticeably. At least so we're told. Through these circumstances of life, we learn to trust God more and more. When we come to the point where we cannot do anything more for ourselves, then we trust the great physician to do what he wants to do with our lives and the, and the physicians that were trained under his guidance. But we have the assurance that the great physician does overrule all of life's events and he knows what is best for us. Isn't it wonderful to know we have such a God who cares about us, watches over us every day? message for today. Here is Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings to you in the name of our gloriously risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are looking at the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the believer 
as taught by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans and especially chapter 6. This is our fourth and final message in this short series. Now in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 14, Paul's argument is that living in sin is entirely inconsistent with the gospel. Living in sin, in fact, he says, is the opposite of what justification is all about. Salvation is accomplished when the Holy Spirit baptizes the person into the person and work of Jesus Christ. By this baptism, we are joined with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Water baptism is but an acting out of that which has already occurred in our spirit baptism. This is what Paul describes in this chapter. The second argument which Paul gives for ceasing to live in sin is found in Romans chapter 6 verses 15 through 23. He says that those who would advocate living in sin would do so under the banner of liberty. Paul refutes this error by raising the banner of slavery. Freedom, Paul argues, is a misnomer. In reality, everyone is a slave and must choose one of two masters. Unsaved individuals are the slaves of sin. In fact, they have no choice, though they think of themselves as free. This is a part of Satan's deception. One's choice to become a slave can be either conscious or unconscious. To continue to present yourself to sin is to remain a slave to sin, the apostle is arguing. For instance, very few people choose to become drug addicts. They begin by sampling drugs, by dabbling with them. They think that they are in control, but soon the drug controls or enslaves them and they are no longer free. So it is with sin. To dabble with sin is to become enslaved to it, and to be enslaved to sin is to put oneself on the road to death. Paul points out the two options, slavery to sin and slavery to God through Jesus Christ. And he says they have very different destinies. One is death and one is life. Put in this light, remaining in sin is remaining a slave to sin, the apostle teaches, and pursuing death. Now Paul's third argument against living in sin is found in the first six verses of chapter 7. Now this is really just an extension or illustration of his previous argument based upon the relationship between marriage and the law. Paul says a woman who is married is not free to remarry because the law forbids it. Only death frees the woman, of course, and the man as well, to marry another person. If a husband dies, Paul says, she is freed by his death. We have died in Christ, he teaches so that we now have the freedom to choose a new master. While sin once ruled over us, it need not do so any longer, is the Apostle's teaching. We are free from the dominion of sin by death. Now we can be joined to another, Jesus Christ. 
while the fruit of one's union with sin is death, the fruit of one's union with Jesus Christ is righteousness, resulting in life. Now, there's something very interesting and important about what Paul has said in these verses, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 7. The law played a part in our bondage, he teaches. But now notice, it was not the law that was put to death. We were put to death. The believer in Christ is put to death. The inference and the teaching is an important one. For it is not the law that is the ultimate problem. It is us, the individual. In other words, it is the weakness of our own selfish flesh or sinful flesh. The apostle says, in effect, that justification was never intended to serve as a license to sin. Justification has as its goal righteousness, which leads to eternal life in Christ. To think that one who is justified can continue to live as he used to, Paul says, is outrageous. It's inconceivable. In fact, it is disgusting. Let no one, he says, dare to think such thoughts. Now, the principle is stated in verse 1 of chapter 7. Hear the word of God. Do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person only as long as he lives? In other words, the law as a principle is only binding during one's lifetime. Paul is addressing his remarks specifically to Jewish Christians who knew the law of Moses. However, the principle concerning one's relationship to the law and death applies to law in general as a principle. And this principle is illustrated in verses 2 and 3. Notice what he says. The married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released or freed from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. End of quote. This simply means that, according to the law of Moses, the marriage relationship is dissolved only by death, which alone makes possible a new legal relationship. In other words, the law's power ends with death. Paul now applies this principle to the believer in verse 4. Notice again what he says. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. End of quote. The explanation of these symbols are as follows. Please listen carefully now. The husband in this illustration who dies is the old man under the rule of law. The death experience is the old man's co-crucifixion with Jesus Christ. The wife who is freed from the old relationship is our new man under grace. The other or the wife or new man is free to marry is Christ. Let me say that again. The other or the new man who is free to marry is Christ. 
The person that we are free to marry, in other words, is Christ because of our death in him. The product of this union is fruit unto God or righteousness, which is right living before God. In other words, living according to the word of God. The believer, due to his death with Christ, is released from the bondage of the law, the law principle, and is now married or joined to Christ in order to bear or produce righteousness that pleases God. In other words, to live according to the word of God. The implication is that those under the law could not produce fruit under God, which in context is righteousness and sanctification. In order for this to happen, one had to be freed from the law and married to another, who is Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the position of every believer in Christ. Paul says they should both know this and practice this truth. The basic point of the illustration is that the believer, because of the death of his old self with Christ, was freed or delivered from the demands of the law and as a new creation is now joined or married to Jesus Christ so that he can now produce a life of righteousness. In other words, live a victorious life over the power of sin in one's daily life. That's where the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes in. Paul then goes on to explain the principle again in verses 5 and 6. And it all boils down to this. In our present position, freed from the law and married to Christ, the body of sin, that is, the means or agent used by the old self to commit sin, has been made unoperative, and we now operate on the basis of the spirit rather than the letter of the law, as stated in verse 6. Notice carefully now, and it is important, it is not the law that was put to death, but rather it was the old self under Adam, the old man. The new self or new man is not married, joined to, or under the domination of the law. He is now under the dominion of Jesus Christ and lives within the sphere of grace, not law. So now, Paul teaches, instead of trying to fulfill the letter of the law, that is the external rules of conduct, the believer indwelled by the Holy Spirit fulfills the spirit of the law, and all because of the events of Good Friday and Easter. One puts the old man to death, and resurrection brings him to life, to live a life of righteousness under the power of the risen Christ. So the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ are so important to living victorious Christian lives. They go together, that is, Good Friday and Easter. They go together like horse and carriage. And you can't have or put one before the other. There can be no victory over sin until there is death to sin. In Christ we have both because we have been united with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. My friends, this is what Easter, this is what Good Friday is all about. God has made it possible through the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ to empower us, to enable us to live victorious life for his glory, for his honor, and for our good. 
Paul says we should know this truth and we should live this truth. I say again, my friends, this is what Good Friday and Easter is all about. Now, as I've stated before, I really don't like to use the term Easter because that only brings to mind a pagan goddess. What we should be calling this glorious day is Lord's Day Resurrection or Resurrection Day. And that's what we call it ourselves. Resurrection Day, the day that our Lord was raised again from the dead. And because we have been united to him through his death and his resurrection, we can live a new life for the glory of God, even as he is doing himself. Because all of his actions, all of his activities have been attributed to us, has been imputed to us because of our faith alone in Christ alone. I trust in that from today on, if you have not been doing so before, you would be living in the power of the resurrected Christ because of what he accomplished on the cross. My friends, Good Friday and Resurrection Day go together. You cannot have one with the other. There must be death before there's resurrection. Have you died to self? Have you recognized the fact that you've already been put to death and you just need to enter into that experience through the power of the risen Christ? I trust that you have or that you will. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the saints. Yeah.
could happen in a moment. Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. Christ could come again.